0: Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. There are times in life when we are hard-pressed on every side. Hard-pressed on every side. Father, you know those within the sound of my voice who are right now hard-pressed on every side. We know that as your church, your word says we're hard pressed on every side, but sometimes in our individual lives, in our families, in our communities, in our affairs at work. God, even working from home, we can be hard pressed on every side. But we're grateful to know that even when death is working in us, the life of Jesus Christ is made manifest. So let life spring forth today for everyone who is hard-pressed, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all seen something in our lifetime that very few who have ever came forth from the womb have witnessed and that is the whole world at once was traumatized. Trauma in the life of an individual is hard, but imagine 7.8 billion people and it, it got all the way to Iceland. Iceland was the last place and Antarctica was the last continent to be touched. Every continent on the face of the earth was touched by COVID. So we can say, if we are alive and remain, that we've been hard pressed on every side. The effects, the residual effects of being isolated, of being afraid, not knowing what to touch, who to touch, where to, how to breathe, where to go, and being alone. I remember the days driving from home to here and it felt apocalyptic. There was nothing moving. There was nothing open. You had to worry about getting the products you needed because nothing was on the shelf. And even if things were delivered, can I trust this person not to transmit a deadly disease? We were hard pressed on every side. And one of the things that I've personally learned through that collective experience is that life can be hard especially if you do it alone you don't want to do life alone that's why community is important it was God's intention for us to live in community when he looked at Adam and said it's not good for a man to be alone he wasn't just talking about the covenant of marriage that was part of it but then to have children and to be fruitful and multiplied, so that we would have community. Community is important and it's necessary. And while we were collectively being pressed as as individuals, as families, as communities, as nations and the whole world, the, the land had rest. The land had rest. The air quality was better than ever. India, China, all play- because there was nobody driving, emissions were low, the, the factories were not putting up pollutants, and the, the air quality was purer than it's been in millenniums. The water was clean. The fish were rejoicing. There weren't ships And oil falling in. The land had rest. But the people were restless. And because the people were restless. And wanting to go back. To the way it was. That rest has passed. We need in our lives. Something that will hold us. Through tough times through good times, so that the highs and lows in life don't take us on a roller coaster ride. We can be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in him shall never be in vain. I wanna begin this message with a story, and I wanna end it with a story. Can you put up the first picture? And I'll tell you the story behind, that's not the first picture. The first picture has two people. That's the second picture. That's my first picture for the message. Nobody saw that, did they? What you're about to see is the first picture to set up the story. And it's about two godly men who were competing Fiercely, I, I love sports. And right now, it's the NBA playoffs. And it's been good so far, intense. And maybe what I like about it, I was thinking about it this morning, is they are running while I'm sitting. <laughs> There's some joy in that. <laughs> so these two godly men we're competing fiercely. One is the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. His name is Monty Williams. And one is the head coach, brand new, first year, of the New Orleans Pelicans, and his name is Willie Green. Philly knows Willie Green. He played for the Sixers. But these two men have been together in the highs and lows of life. One of them won and one of them lost and that's what's so precious about this picture. Willie was, started out the year last. His team was awful, but he's a man of faith. He inspired them. They end up in the playoffs. They're playing the top seeded team in the West and they pushed them, but ultimately He lost, but the story didn't begin there. They had been together for more than a decade. When Willie was a player, Monty coached him. In fact, they played together for a while and they had a common faith. They, They prayed together. When events happened in each other's lives, they were there. And in this city where they were playing, New Orleans, Monty Williams. Monty is the tall one with the smooth haircut and Willie is the other. Willie's team lost and the first thing Monty went and did is he embraced for a long time. The analysts, were; their voices were cracking and they said, these guys are brothers. It's a witness. They're not blood brothers, but they're brothers by the blood. That's a great, so in the same city, New Orleans, in 2016, Monty, the one who's wiping the tears, literally wiping the tears from his friend's eyes after a warm embrace, was in that city coaching the same team that Willie is now coaching. And Willie was one of his assistants. And one day, his beloved wife, Monty's wife, mother of five young children, was driving in New Orleans. A person driving 92 miles an hour hit her car. She didn't have a chance, she was gone. She was gone. They prayed together and supported each other and that funeral, because of Monty's status, was on national television, and the world got to see a man who was crushed, whose world was upside down, who was hard pressed, get up and talk about the grace of God. Through all of that pain, and talk about the fact that I've got to be strong for my children, there was somebody who he did life with, called Willie Green, who not only wept with him, but prayed with him, who behind him, Willie is quiet, he's unassuming. Even when he's excited, you don't know it. He's even killed, but he inspires the best in people. And so they were together in that tough time. It was so devastating at the time. Monty, his wife was still there because he had coached in New Orleans, and then he got let go. He was in Oklahoma. And so the players there got to know him, and a young Kevin Durant comes up to the podium. He can't talk. He breaks down. He breaks down because of the loss of this lovely wife and mother in the beginning of the prime of her life, leaving five children. Other people couldn't talk, but Monty had the strength to carry on. He comes back to that same city and now he's competing against his friend and they both wanna win but after the game is over, he comes and he embraces them. This is the second embrace. They hug for a long time and Willie walks away and Monty sees that he's crying. He's crushed. He's crushed because now he has to face his team and their hopes and dreams are dashed. Monty goes across the room and gets him and begins to wipe the tears from his face. You don't see men behaving like that. But because they did life together, and in times that were tough, he was there to comfort him. And the whole world, you can see the people in the background, they're astonished. That's the team that lost. But there was no sadness. There was no sadness because even though they were uh, in competition because they did life together, it couldn't separate them. And now the headlines read, they are brothers. They're not talking about the score. There's something about our witness when we do life together. One of the things I love about New Covenant are the things that are not seen. I hear stories about people who were there for people when they were in trouble. Things that I would not have known about if I didn't hear it by chance. It's good to be in community. It's good to do life together because when you're hard pressed and you're down, there's somebody to pick you up. There's somebody to weep with you. There's somebody to wipe the tears from your eyes. There are many people who went through this collective trauma who are pressed and they're alone. That is never, that's not how we are made. God never intended that. And sometimes there are people who are alone because they don't want to be vulnerable. Because these two men did life together, they did things that don't look manly. One is crying and the other is wiping tears and they're not ashamed and the world loves it because there's something godly about that. And both of them, there's no question that they love God because when they talk, their speech is a witness. There's something about the press, press, when we're pressed, that brings the best out of us because what's in you is gonna come out of you. There's some people when you press them, they're gonna cuss you out because that's in them. There's some people when you press them, they're gonna love you. There's some people that when you're pressed, even though they're pressed, they'll wipe your tears away. It's what's in you. I remember one time I was in a subway in New York And I was a new believer, I mean a real believer. I've been in church all my life, but this time it was for real. And I was in the subway, and I was on fire. But I was still a babe, like the roots weren't that deep. They were kinda shallow, but I was on fire. If you get in my presence, don't touch me cause you might get burned. It was in that season, but my roots were shallow. And down in that subway, I was working in New York at that time on Fifth Avenue. Young fella, 20-something, looking forward to the future. And someone did something. And it was suddenly, and something came out of my mouth that I thought was gone. And I realized in that moment, it's still in me. And I'm t- in that instance, I felt I was crushed. I was like, Lord, I'm, so- I'm like, what in the world? I, cont- I sat on that train and I started to think, where did that come from? It was, that's what was in me. I hadn't rooted it, it hadn't been rooted up. And that early experience caused me to sit and to contemplate and to understand this truth Don't ever think you stand, lest you fall. And from that day, which was many years ago, I've been vigilant to guard my mouth, to put a watch before my mouth because I thought I was incapable of it. No, and that's why having people in your life that'll hold you accountable is also good. We're living in a time where people call love, hate. Love, hate. There, is a, there was an experience while I'm watching the playoffs. A person sounded like Caiaphas the priest to me. Because no matter what I'm doing, I'm looking through the lens of the gospel. I have him on my mind. It could be the simplest things and I can see God in it. I can hear God in it. Not like a person who has lost their mind, but I've chosen this is my life. This is who I am. Not just when I stand here on Sunday, but if I'm watching a game, I'm looking for, Lord, what are you saying? Because there's nothing in my life or your life that is wasted. And God knows how precious time is. He knows how to redeem the time if we pay attention. And so I'm watching this game. And they're talking about this young man, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal star. The world knows his name. His name is John ja Morant. I'm talking about them a lot because it's the season, and you know this this is this is relevant. It relates to the message. And he was talking about his upbringing and his training. And at one point, they said, he said, "My first hater was my father." My first hater was my father because his father used to speak to him tough, harsh, but he was telling him the truth. And that's how he became Ja Morant, who the world knows. He's only 22 years old. And one of the people said, and this is how I related him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest who turned Jesus over to Pilate for execution, said it is more expedient for one man to die for all the people. He didn't know what he was saying, but God used him to say something prophetic. There's a man who I know is not godly who said these words. He said, since when the, has truth become hate? Since when has truth become hate? And I said, the world needs to hear that because if you warn people again it's not even acceptable to warn people about the judgment to come because truth has become hate if you talk to people about what god says about your lifestyle it becomes hate speech since when has truth become hate if we pay attention in our society in our culture in our world truth has become hate. And you know why? To silence you. Because you're a loving person. You don't wanna be seen as hateful. So the way I can get you to shut your mouth is by making truth hate. And if that happens, what happens to the truth? And if the people don't know the truth, how will they be set free? I got all that from watching a basketball game because God is always speaking and he can use the most unsuspecting person for the people who have an ear to hear I promise you there were many people who were watching that and never made the connection because they are, are blinded by the God of this world let's go to our Text. I'm only going to read a f- very few verses, and we're going to continue our storytelling. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side. Yet not crushed. We're hard pressed but on every side. You know what that feels like when you're hard pr- on every side. It looks like everything is going wrong. There is no place for refuge. But the This text says, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Everything God does has a purpose, and he's the giver and sustainer of life. And whatever is working in our life is so that the life of Jesus would be made manifest in us. There were several examples with Monty when he lost his wife, and he was a widower, and the children were out, their mother, he got up and spoke life to people. And people who were godless were touched because they couldn't understand how in all of his pain can he do this. I'm crushed, but he's still standing. That is a phenomenal witness. That's a phenomenal witness. When the enemy of your soul thinks you're down for the count and you rise up again, it confuses the enemy. Why do they have joy when all of this has come against them is because I know my Redeemer lives. And I know he'll never leave me. He'll never be, he'll never forsake me. And in this text, Paul tells us we're persecuted, but not forsaken. I want to speak to somebody right now who might be in the fire of persecution. I want you to know the word of God is true. You are not forsaken. You will never be forsaken there are some God forsaken places but there are no God forsaken people because if you're in him he promised not to leave you and not to forsake you and that is true but I want to focus today on being hard pressed on every side now put up the the picture of the Of the grapes. One of the things that we are to do is to be fruitful in our lives. Not just to be fruitful and multiply in a natural sense, but also in a spiritual sense. Jesus said, His Father, as the husbandman, purges us so that we would bring forth much fruit and that that fruit might remain. But the thing about fruit, in order to get life from it, it must change its form. And just like my story in the subway, that to me, I was on fire. I was in him, and you couldn't tell me otherwise, but there was still something in me that needed to be transformed. And in a moment, when I wasn't thinking, it came out. Because what's in you, when you're under pressure, that's what's gonna come out. And if that same thing happened to me now, the word that would come out would be Jesus. There are some people, you startle them, and they say, Jesus. There's some people, you startle them, and they call their mother. The the mama's boy I thought about as I was putting this together, had a knee on his neck, George Floyd. And just before he breathed his last, he cried out for his mother. That's how you know he's a mama's boy. His mother was his protector. His mother had been dead for years, but he said, mama, Because when you are under stress and when you're under duress, what is in you is what comes out of you. That's why we need more of him him in us. So no matter what circumstance you find me in, what's gonna come out is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. These grapes in this form have some value. There's some good things in grapes, antioxidants, etc., that are good for the heart. But when it changes its form, it's more potent. So let's go to the next slide. This is grapes that have been crushed. We're talking about being crushed on every side. And this is a wine vat. If you look closely, you'll see the skin and everything. And this is how our God is. Nothing is wasted. Though there's no good thing dwelling in my flesh, because I presented my body to him, he can use my body, my soul. He uses all parts of us. Nothing is wasted. And the benefits of red grapes are greater than the benefits of white grapes because when they produce wine from white grapes, they take away the skin. I believe part of the reason you get more, and I'll talk a little bit about what's in them, is because it's crushed, it's pressed, it's pressed. Sometimes they do it by hand, sometimes they do it by feet, but in modern day, they do it with a wine press. And that's why I thought it was relevant because it's pressed. And you see this press is going through fermentation. And the older it gets, the better it is. When Jesus turned water into wine, they said, you saved the best for last. It was brand new, but it tasted like it had ages. That's what Jesus does. When you come to him, even when you're brand new in him, He can cause you to walk with a maturity that your friends won't know. Who is this? You're not the same person because he's able to transform us. There's a a lady who's living in France. She's a nun. She's 116 years old. And she's in a, a facility, but she's vibrant. You can see her chatting it up, and someone asked her, there was a lady in Japan who was 117 and she died last week. So then this lady who's 116 is getting attention. Took 116 years to get attention. Be patient, (laughs) it's coming. So they asked her, what? Do you do? Like, what's the secret to your longevity? And she didn't say, well, I do two things every day. I have chocolate and a glass of wine. She's 116. Wine sales went up all over the world, I'm sure. And chocolate. And chocolate. Let's go to the last slide. She does those two simple things, but what she doesn't do is have two, classes, two glasses and two Hershey bars. It's in moderation. And she was, she's from France, where they consume more wine in moderation than milk. We're trained when we're young to drink milk. Milk produces mucus. Mucus and inflammation is linked to much disease. They have almost zero heart disease. But you don't see people walking around the streets drunk because they do it in moderation. It's natural. One glass of wine she has and one chocolate. If you have too much chocolate, it'll show up on the outside. (laughs) It will show up on the outside. You, don't, you have to understand how to control and moderation. And shortcuts. This morning, the Spirit was ministering to me about shortcuts. Like wine that is aged well is at its best as it ages, if it properly goes through the fermentation process. When Jesus was on the cross, remember, they gave him wine, but what did they call it? Vinegar. Because when it's not, some say some translations say sour wine, some say vinegar. When you when the fermentation process is not done properly, because people are, I don't have time to wait, I need my money now, it turns to vinegar. It's sour. In life, God told me to tell you: don't take shortcuts, don't try to go around when he wants you to go through. The re- he wants you to go through for a purpose. And these grapes that are pressed or crushed, when it's done properly, it has medicinal benefits. Large study at Mayo Clinic found that there are antioxidants in red wine. There's something called polyphenols that protect the lining of the blood, the blood vessels. It protects the lining of the blood vessels in the heart, just in the heart. That's why the scripture says it makes merry the heart. But if you have too much of it, the scripture also says wine is a mocker and strong drink. And whoever is taken thereof is not wise. That woman who lived to be 116 was wise. One glass, maybe with dinner or whatever. A little bit of chocolate. Give me a little thin mint on the pillow. But see, you have to know yourself. I was breaking bread with a brother at one of my favorite places to eat right up the street here, Breakfast Boutique. And we were talking. It was one of those good conversations where you're both being edified. And at one point, he said something. He said, you know, for me, I know that the sin of gluttony can overtake me. So I listened, he said, and it's not just about food. He says, I have to be mindful that I don't need 10 cars. I don't need, like, he applies it to his whole life. He says, I know I'm prone to wanna consume much that person should not have a glass of wine because guess what it's going to turn to? Two glasses, five glasses. Then he's going to be drunk. He's going to be stammering. He's not going to live 116 years because the same product that brought life to her blows up other people's livers. It ruins their lives. Their families break apart because they don't have control of themselves, and he understands that gluttony is an issue. And I, so I gotta watch what I take in in terms of food and all the other things, it's not limited just to that. There's a, there's a certain ingredient called resveratol, which they think is the, the natural antioxidant. And you know antioxidants are good for cancer, for other things, but this is linked to heart. It reduces stress. It reduces stress and cholesterol. And then I start, I ask the question to myself. Sometimes I ask questions and I don't know the answer and it forces me to do research. And you know the reason I ask the question? It's because I don't know the answer. A person who asks questions that they know the answer to is a fake. They're a phony. They just want you to know how much they know. And they rejoice if you don't know it because they're, yeah, yeah, look at me. You know, you need me. Look at how smart I am. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. But when I'm alone, I ask questions and it forces me to do research. So I said, Lord, what about seedless grapes? What? Our seedless grape, is it natural? It's like every fruit produces after its own kind. It must begin with a seed. So, how do we get seedless grapes? I'm like, Lord, I've been eating seedless grapes. Where do they come from? And I asked the question not for nutrition, but to prepare for this message. Seedless grapes are clones, they are clones. And sometimes, remember they tried human cloning, but they started with a lamb called Dolly, and it looked like a success, and then they had to put a bullet in Dolly's head because the mutations were crazy. They're trying to play God and figure out another way to bring forth life. That is more ignorant than the Tower of Babel. But these are seedless grapes are cloned but they are for all the nutritionists in the room they are nutritious they don't take all of that stuff away it still has phytonutrients and antioxidants and vitamins has vitamin C vitamin K etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's not the real thing it is not the real thing it won't harm you so don't go shopping tomorrow and say do these grapes have seeds or seedless I don't want, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you that what appears on the outside may not be the real thing on the inside. And I mentioned earlier that the benefits of the red grapes are greater than the benefits of the white grape because the red grape, you can use all of it. And for you and I to be fit for the master's use, use, he wants all of us. And when he has all of us, he has the best of us. And when he has the best of us, we impact our world in a way that turns the world upside down. I wanna tell a final story about being hard pressed. Hard pressed. And I talked about how the world together was traumatized. And this, lest you think that this message is about promoting wine and the health benefits, which are true, I wanna make certain that this is very clear. There are things that when they're used for their intended use, Normally, normal, and this applies to all areas of life, they're they're for good. But there's also abnormal use. And you know what the word for that is? Abuse. Abuse is abnormal use. For those of you who are taking notes, I put in my notes, abuse equals abnormal use. So that's why you have terms like alcohol, finish it. Drug, sex, because it's abnormal. People will even use people abnormally, it's abuse. If I take, up, take in too much wine that can help my heart when it's done in moderation, it makes me intoxicated. In the middle of that is toxic. And what is toxic kills. So the same thing that that person who lived to see 116 years under the sun does in moderation could be toxic for me. If I do it to intoxication on a a consistent level, it's gonna harm my, it'll help my heart, harm my liver. It can actually bring stress. The same thing that relieves stress brings it. I've had people close to me who struggle with it, and when they can't get it, they have stress. They act, they're agitated. There are, when people are caught in the bondage of abnormal use of things that have medicinal use, they get into drug abuse. 100,000 people died just from fentanyl overdose in 2021. In the hospital, when it's given properly, it alleviates pain. When it's used abnormally, it causes pain, not just to the departed, but to their families. Abnormal use. God wants us to be used and not abused. He'll never abuse us. That's why it's important for you and me to line up and to understand the purpose, not just for my life, but what I'm doing at any given time. Lord, what is the purpose for this? Because I want to go through it in a way that there's usefulness for me, but never abnormal use, because that becomes what? Say the word. Abuse. And that's how people get to alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sex abuse, sexual abuse. Last picture. This is a story. This is Reverend Billy Graham, who was born in November of 1918 and went from labor to rest in February of 2018. He was 99 in the 100th year of his life when the Lord took him home. But in this picture, he's 92 years old. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina, the place of his birth. And he was asked to come to an event where they could honor him, his life, and his legacy. By now, he had stopped doing crusades. He, was, his, he lost his wife, I believe, in 2007. And they were both pressed on every side. He was dealing with Alzheimer's disease, probably dementia at that time, which led to Alzheimer's. He had cancer. His wife had cancer. And he talks about times when they had nurse, visiting nurses. They're both in their rooms, tied up to all these machines. But they could look over at each other, hold each other's hands. And even though death was working in their body, life was being manifested. And finally, his beloved wife went on. He lived 11 more years. But on this day, he talked about the fact that he almost didn't go because he also had Parkinson's disease. And he didn't think, there's no way I can communicate. It's hard. I can't, I'm trembling. I have problems with my memory. I got cancer in my body. I got all this stuff going, pressed on every side. And they said, Dr. Graham, if you just come, Reverend Graham, you don't have to say anything. Just come. We want to honor you. And he ended up coming. And this is him approaching it. They said so many good things about him caused his heart to swell. And he made his way up, branded to the podium, and he began to speak these words. He said, I'm reminded of that great physicist, Albert Einstein, who one day was on a train going back home to Princeton, New Jersey. And the conductor came down the road to punch his ticket. And Dr. Einstein reached in his breast pocket, couldn't find his ticket. Reached in his pants pocket, couldn't find his ticket. Looked in his briefcase, it wasn't there. So finally the conductor says, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. You're good, it's all right. Don't worry about the ticket, you're good. And the conductor is leaving and he punches other tickets. And you know how on Amtrak, that door that slides, he gets to the door and he looks back and he sees Albert Einstein on his hands and knees looking underneath, looking underneath the chair. And he goes back, he's like, no, 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 Dr. Einstein, you don't have to do that. I know who you are. He looks the young man in the eye and says, I know who I am too. The problem is, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. And Billy Graham took those words. He said, I'm here today, not because I was enthusiastic about coming. My family encouraged me. But they said, you know, my old age, I'm getting a little, a little, like, I don't care about my dress, my attire enough. And so I went out and bought this suit. I bought this suit not just for today and addressing you, but this is the suit that I will be wearing when God calls me home. And he said, if you come to my home going, I don't want you to remember this suit. I want you to remember that Billy Graham knows where he's going. I know where I'm going. And I want to challenge everyone in this room. If your ticket were to be punched tonight, do you know where you're going? It'll be too late to get on your hands and knees and look for the ticket. There's a song, old song that says, children get ready. There's a train a-coming. You don't need no ticket." just get on board, you need a ticket to get on board of this train and Jesus is the way. Do you know where you're going? If you're on the live stream, do you know, can you honestly say you know where you're going? What what Billy Graham had that Dr. Einstein didn't have was an assurance that he knew where he was going. And even though Einstein didn't need the ticket to ride, he needed it to be reminded and to know where he's going. So I want to offer you the ticket today to know where you're going. Every eye closed, every head bowed, let's pray. Father. We thank you for the assurance that you give us that when we are in you, we have life and we have it more abundantly. We have eternal life and this is eternal life that we know God and him who you sent who is Jesus, the Christ. Lord, there, some, there is no doubt somebody who is hearing this message, who doesn't know where they're going. They have yet to commit by confession to you. And so I pray for and with these right now. Lord Jesus today I give myself to you I know that you will use all of me just as the grapes when their form is changed has the ability to protect the heart and increase Life. I know now that you are the giver of life and you are the sustainer of life. So take away my sin. Receive me unto yourself. Save me. Help me to be stable. I renounce, I forsake all of those things my life that I called pleasure that I can now see for the first time they are destructive they're destructive they come to kill and to steal and to destroy my life but you have come that I might have life and so today I choose life I choose life take me save me keep me and God when I'm straying I pray now that you will not let me fail would you uphold me with your right hand of power would you lead me in the way that I should go because I don't know where I'm going but you are the way and because you are the way I commit myself to you, and I confess you, Jesus, as Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for delivering my life from destruction. I receive your salvation now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in service today.